So yes, it's okay to record these things, and I can't give you permission to, to distribute them. So there we go. Ave Maria Prisma. I just want to read a few things from the book of the prophet Hosea. So chapter 4, I'll read some, and then we'll kind of go from there. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord shall enter into judgment with the inhabitants of the land, for there is no truth, and there is no mercy, and there is no knowledge of God in the land. Cursing and lying and killing and theft and adultery have overflowed, and blood hath touched blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth in it shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of the air. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be gathered together. But yet let not any man judge, and let not a man be rebuked, for thy people are as they that contradict the priest. My people have been silent because they had no knowledge, because thou, priest, hast rejected knowledge. I will reject thee that it shall not do the office of the priesthood to me, and thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. And they shall be like people, like priests, and I will visit their ways upon them, and I will pay them their devices. They shall eat, not be filled. They have committed fornication, have not ceased, because they have forsaken the Lord, and not observing his law. Fornication and wine and drunkenness take away the understanding. My people have consulted their stocks, and their staff hath deceived, on, deceived, declared unto them. For the spirit of fornication hath deceived them, and they have committed fornication against their God. They offered sacrifice on the po- tops of mountains, and burnt incense upon the hills, and under the oak, and the pop, and the turpentine tree, because the shadow thereof was good. Therefore shall your daughters commit fornication, your spouses shall be adulteresses. Especially when he's talking of fornication, he talks in two senses when you hear that in the scripture. And one is idolatry. And we have seen that even at the highest levels right now of the church. But you see here, when things get chaotic and the priests are not doing what they need, it says the land will mourn and everyone that dwells will languish, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, and the fish of the sea. Even. So it even talks about environmental crises relating to the sins. Uh, because, of course, God put man, man has dominion over everything. So when man is in right relationship with God, like especially before the fall in the garden, things are ordered. And to the degree that, that man introduces more disorder, that nature rebels even more and more and more. And we're just going to see more of this as we go on because people are not repenting and turning back. So as every day, of course, uh, it gets closer to the end of the world, day by day. And at the end of the world, reparation has to be made for everything. There's no purgatory. Purgatory ends on the last day. And so the payment becomes due for all the offenses against God. St. Louis de Montfort, other saints write about at those times, the greatest saints will be raised up. But the greatest saints won't necessarily be visible to many people. Uh, many of them will not be known because they'll be victims. They'll have a hidden life. Sister Lucia, we think of Sister Lucia, certainly one of the greatest mystics in the history of the world. And Our Lady continued to appear to her right up till her death. Our Lady regularly, she had messages for her and all that. And the convent in Coimbra has published a, a book, a biography that, that has stuff about them, you know, without, without too many details, although there are some kind of remarkable ones. But we know that she would write things to the Holy See and the Curia, some of them called her that woman, right up to the end. But hidden. She's hidden. 
So many of them will look like victims, many of these great saints. Uh, and different sins call for different victims. So, for example, I'll just, I'll just chat about different uh, sort of things that we see and that need uh, reparation for. And, of course, we just heard a lot of that in a, a scriptural summary, but the corruption in the priesthood. Now, what would victims look like? I can think of several different types just sitting here, but one type of victim is the young man that does have a vocation to the priesthood, and he goes to a seminary, but he stands up for what's right, and as a consequence, he doesn't get ordained because he doesn't want to lose his integrity. He correctly doesn't go with this, keep your head down and get ordained, which is really evil advice. It's just worldly advice. It's absolutely the most worldly thing you can think of because we don't need any priest to keep their head down. We need priests to keep their head up and be men and not spiritually castrate themselves, which is what that kind of advice really is. And so a man like that has to turn to the Lord and offer up this unrealized desire to become a priest. They could very well have been placed on him from his earliest years. And that's going to be very pleasing to God in proportion to the love with which he, he offers that up and is, is striving to become holy. And it's going to make reparation for this corruption in the seminaries and the priesthood and so forth, this lack of integrity, this lack of manliness. That's one way of it. Another one I think, I guess it's popular now to call them canceled priests. <laughs> I have to admit my ignorance, I don't exactly know why they call them canceled priests, but that's not important. Two of the finest priests I know have been taken out of their ministry by their bishops, and it's kind of an extraordinary thing in one sense, because if you're looking at it sort of stepping away from the spiritual aspects, which of course we can't, we're talking about those, but if if you're running a business or something like that, you'd say, wow, these guys, I want more of these guys. I don't want less of them. I'm not going to get... I don't want to fire them, get them out of here. I I want to hire 20 more of these kind of people. But we're not talking about a business, of course, we're not looking at it naturally. There are different aspects of why they're being removed. I think part of it is the people don't merit it. They haven't prayed and sacrificed enough uh, on their part, taking some of this for granted and, and having a pride in their priest. And everybody should have a pride in their father in that way, but you can get it disordered. But really... Also, the times call for it. And so these priests, the Lord is allowing to be set aside so they can make a reparation too in that way so that they can turn to the Lord and offer up. offer up. They're being taken out of action and being set aside in a certain way. And they'll be more pleasing because they're going to get more done in sort of a, a penitential, uh, withdrawn way, even though these are men that have been in the active priesthood suddenly they're they're almost like Carthusians in a spiritual sense because they've just been set aside to pray and so forth. So that's a, a victim that I see. And there's one I talk to regularly, and he's he's just one of the finest men I know. And you, you just realize, wow, this is, there's only a spiritual explanation for this. You would not do that uh, if you were outside of that. Corruption in religious life. I can think... Just the inability to realize the desire. For example, where would a guy go if he really had a vocation to be something like a Christian brother? You know, teaching at that level, teaching young men or men. There's no place to go. There's literally no place to go. There's almost no options 
for a guy. There's so, so few options, and you, one size does not fit all. You just can't all cram yourself into, into one community. If you have a particular spirituality or particular calling, it's just not going to be realized for a lot of them. And that's, that is how it is. So what do they do? Where do they go? Again, they have to offer up to the Lord this unrealized desire. And, and I'm going to talk about some practical things later, but I mean at that fundamental level. Uh, with the women, there are a few places for them to go, but a very few. Those two will be uh, smashed if the powers that be have their ways, and I'm sure they will. So even if they do go to a really good community, it's not like there's going to be some island in the church where, oh, good, we can go to this diocese, or we can go to this community, all will be well. There's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide as you get closer and closer to the end. Again, for those women, they have to turn to the Lord, offer up the unrealized desires for the ones that want to go. You know, I, gee, I really wanted to be a, a nursing sister or something like that. I know from, from since I've been a child, that's what I've been called to. And it's all I've ever thought of. But uh, where are they going to go? So I'm just using this for example. So th- this desire is put placed in their heart, and God calls them. How do they fulfill it? By suffering with great love. Uh, by sharing the suffering Christ. One of the clearest examples of this, going back a uh, hundred years, is St. Gemma Gilgani. St. Gemma Gilgani is called to be a passionist. She couldn't, she had to wait till she died. And God placed that. It's clear that God put that on her heart. And that she's a victim for it and she can't actually get there. She never gets there. So this is a real clear example. So this is not something completely extraordinary. What's extraordinary is, is it's like everywhere right now. And so there's a really clear example of a victim soul that that had a vocation that couldn't be realized in this life, uh, a religious vocation. We see the same thing with marriages. Let's talk about people that are actually married. Here you have the situation. One takes the jab and one doesn't. Uh, one leaves, uh, takes off for another. One of them refuses to, to have the children that God wants to send them. How do they keep going? Well, one's very, very abusive to the other. So they had to keep praying and suffering. We think of, especially they would turn to Blessed Anna Maria Taiji and Blessed Elizabeth Kenori Mora. Blessed Anna Maria Taiji, Dominic, in fact, he testified at her, at her beatification thing. He's crying. He said, I wasn't worthy of her. The guy was hard to live with when you, when you read it. He, he'd come home and if the table wasn't set just right, he'd grab the tablecloth and yank and everything, go on the floor. The kids weren't lined up right. He'd stick, bang, bang, bang. She never complained. Uh, she, She's an absolute model in that kind of really certainly challenging circumstance. Bless Elizabeth Kenori Mora, her husband, just to make it real quick, he takes off, leaves her with the kids, and he's gallivanting around with the other women. But she keeps praying and ultimately becomes a priest after her death. That's the one for the abandoned uh, women. They stay in the marriage. Even if the other partner doesn't stay in the marriage, they stay in the marriage and, and keep the faith and keep going forward. Because with the temptation right away, especially when they've been abandoned, is, well, I'll just go get my annulment because those things are about as hard to get as a postage stamp. It really doesn't matter what reason you have in almost any diocese. I've preached on this. You can listen to because I've gone through the statistics and talked about it. Because there certainly are things such as annulment, but, uh, you know, people know in their heart, basically, if they've been married or not. It's not... You need the tribunal to make these kind of judgments. That's the Council of Trent. I'm not denying any of that. When the tribunals have gone uh, crazy like everything else. So they have to hang on. I'll tell a story. I read this letter from the pulpit. A woman came to meet with me. 
been married, you know, the children were, were adults and gone and all that. She came to meet with me because her husband, and I knew her husband, was unbelievably cruel to her. And she wanted to know, uh, you know, basically she's looking about leaving. And I told her, no, don't do that. You stay right there. You can handle it. You've been handling it all these years. I guess in a certain way, there's a, there's a hardness telling people, go ahead and get crucified. I mean, because that's basically what priests have to do is look people in the eyes and tell them stuff they don't want to hear, but they really know it anyway. So you sign up for better or worse. This is worse. You can handle it. You're handling it. Isn't that right? She could. I said, and if you leave, he, he can't be saved, right? Because he'd left the church. He was an atheist. Um, very, very intelligent, very educated man. I said, you just need to pray and sacrifice for him and offer up these sufferings. And I'll make a long story short. I had a beautiful letter years later from her. So he he was dying, and he told the kids, I don't want any priests here. You keep priests out of this hospital room. They wouldn't let priests. So the priests weren't allowed in. So she's going there, and she's praying and begging him. And finally, uh, she gets another gal that I knew, and they're, they're praying the Divine Mercy Chapel there in his room as he's dying, and tell him, you know, look, uh, I, I really want to see you in heaven. He just said, get me a priest. Well, then the kids wouldn't let the priest in. So they, he had to convince the kids that he actually wanted to see the priest. So the priest gets to him, gets everything taken care of, and he dies uh, a number of hours later. And it was he died on a Good Friday. If she hadn't stayed and been a victim for that marriage, he'd have gone to hell. I, I don't even think that's debatable. I'm comfortable saying that, and but I'm comfortable saying he's saved because because of her suffering. That's what a victim's soul looks like right there. So you have that kind of thing where they have to offer up, they have to keep praying and suffering for their particular marriage, and they're they're covering other marriages too at the same time, like Blessed Elizabeth Canary Mora. It is just her marriage. So how about the ones that don't get married? Well, they're not going to find a spouse, a lot of them. So many of them have been aborted, and, and other ones are perverted. You couldn't really marry them, even if they were available. I mean, you could, but it's not going to work. Because <laughs> people aren't capable of being married, a lot of them anymore. They're so damaged, and they're so messed up, and they're so hooked on just absolutely vicious behaviors. Bachelors or unmarried single women like that, and the desire, God is asking them to offer up that desire. Now, in each one of these instances, they, they need to do that. So they need to keep offering up and praying and suffering. That's what they need to do, and they're they're making up for all the sins, all the disorder, and all the abortions, and so forth. How about the couples? There's couples that long for children but can't have them. Those are some of the hardest things in it as a priest, trying to talk to them about that, because they're true victims. They have to make reparation with that desire and longing, which is so beautiful for all the people that can have babies and don't want them and can have babies and just kill them to get them out of the way because they're inconvenient for their life right then. And so they just, what are you doing here? I thought I was just having a party. I don't want you. And they just snuff out another life and another life and another life. And they just have hearts like Flint. And so they're making reparation for that. And please, God, that reparation will result in the conversion of some of these people. Because all these things, of course, are aimed not just at the person who's a victim because it's making them holy, but the people for whom they're making reparation so that they can be saved. And so that God is in the first place more than anything else, so that God is appeased 
and pleased by this reparation for all these horrible offenses because underneath it all, that's the most important thing. Or over it all, I guess is the proper way of saying it. Because they're making up to God all this abuse of his gifts and his love by all these different people. And that's the principal thing they're doing. And secondarily then, the, the salvation of these other people at the same time it's making them holy. The innocence of children. So many children, that their innocence is lost and perverted. A kid that that actually is going to be uh, try to be Christ-like, or Marian, they're not going to fit in. Their clothes are going to look different in their clothes. The games, the things they look at, the things they do, the way they talk, they're not going to fit in. They're going to just be complete freaks almost because that's how it is if, if one's trying to follow Christ in a time like this. These sort of things. People with eating problems. There's a price to pay for all this genetic modification and basting the earth in weird chemicals and stuff. We just saw that in Hosea. It's because of sin underlying it, but they're making reparation to God for all the abuse. Instead of stewardship, it's really abuse. It's not stewardship of God's gifts and God's land and, and all that. This isn't stewardship to mutilate uh, things. And autism, the people with autism, ADHD, all these, these children... Uh, they themselves are victims. There's a price being paid for the jab and for the different things. How many of these autistic children are autistic because of, of vaccinations? 